0: I ask this question here in all seriousness. How many of you have seen something on, had a phone call come through, and it was a telemarketer? Have you ever talked? Once or twice. you you got a telemarketer. So what's your first thought the second a telemarketer starts talking to you on the phone? Marcia says she just hangs up. Hang up. Hang up, hang up. In the first service, uh, Jeanette, who sits right about there, says, Don't say yes, they'll record it and use it against you. (laughs) Or don't answer. (laughs) Or don't answer. Well, how do you know not to answer a a telemarketer's phone call? You get a ID. Color ID. Color ID. ID. So what does it say? Does it say telemarketer? (laughs) It says it says um colour unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Or I saw one the other day that said possible fraud alert <laughs> on, on, on a caller ID. I thought, that was pretty good. I was thinking, how do they know? <laughs> I've got Roxanne's face over here going, I want that one. <laughs> well, what is, the, what, what is our problem? What is our issue with Telemarketers? not buy anything Because when phone. you tell them no, they just keep calling you back. Because <laughs> you tell them no, they keep calling you back. Um, in the first service, my wife said, because they're invading your home with their phone call. Is that what you said? Something like that. Yeah. I would say, actually, the reason why we don't mind it, because we don't, or the reason we mind them is because we don't trust them. And we don't really want people we don't trust in our homes or in our lives. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? And why don't we trust them? We don't know them. And, there's a, and And then maybe we also have something else. Maybe we have history with other telemarketers that use the same techniques that have proven untrustworthy, right? We've been taken to the cleaners. And we don't know this person. But this is the question about the ordinary Christian life, in my opinion. Most people, I was, I was walking along um, in Colville the other day, right, right past the center of town, and there was a couple of people sitting by a makeshift stand, and they were witnessing for Jesus. By 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 putting pamphlets in front of people, and people and I watched for a little bit, and people were just walking by. Do you know why? Nobody knows, knows them because relationship is and trustworthiness is how the gospel is spread not through telemarketers, so to speak. Let me read our text today. We're going to finish James this morning. Can you believe it? We're going to be done with the book of James. But but before James leaves us, he's going to deliver us a little text on how to be just an ordinary Christian. Let's do that. Let's read that. This is from James uh, verse 5 or chapter 5, verse 12. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin or be condemned. Many of you will know this verse in an older translation. It says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but don't take oaths. Now, it We hear that in our words. Have you ever met anybody in your life that signed their name, but their name wasn't any good? They just, they weren't going to keep their signature. They weren't going to, they promised they, they just weren't going to follow through. Have you ever dealt with somebody like that? I, uh, I, I share this uh, anecdotal little story about running my own business as a graphic designer. I had two clients that required me to sign a, sign a contract with them. They, they were the hardest to get the money out of. Their, their signature wasn't any better than their word. Most of all, brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say yes or no, a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin or be condemned. Are any of you, here's the next one, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Now let me just stop there for a second. That's what you should do as a Christian if you're in relationship with Jesus and God and he's repaired that spot and you're sitting there and and there's this fundamental cry right at the beginning of this, be who you are. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Did you hear that? Be who you are. Well, who are we in Christ? We are people that when we are suffering hardships, when we're hard-pressed, what do we do? We pray. We talk to God and say, help, I need some help here. That's what we do. Number two, here we go. You should pray. Are you happy? if, If you look at this and it says, are you happy? I, I, this is almost one of those spots. I'd, I'd almost like to just put a little mark and just put out in the margins. This thing. This is the same verse from Acts, or same word from Acts twenty-seven, twenty-two, when Paul has been shipwrecked and they're all they're, they've not had any food. The exact same word here is "take courage." So, do you? Any of you are any of you courageous? Are you bearing up under stress? And you're bearing up. You're gonna make it through. Have you taken courage? Yes. What should you do? You should sing praises. That's just the standard reaction. So when something's going wrong and then you get through it, what, what are you supposed to do as a Christian? Praise the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. This is, this is the, the, the how to be a Christian sort of book. In this thing, the first thing you do is you be who you are. Well, who you are is you are, you are in Jesus. And so that'll lead you to the spot where when things go wrong in the world, and they will, you will pray. And when things are going wrong, but then they turn around and end up okay, you're going to, you're going to praise God. Are any of you sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. We've spent some time doing that this morning. When we say this, did you know that the reason why we say, Lord, hear our prayers, and we all say that, is we are all in agreement with that prayer. Now, I have a little habit, and some of you have experienced this with me. If you come up, and I, 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 I can't say I do it all the time, but I try. If you come up to me and you share a prayer concern with me, um, how many of you have done that and had me stop and pray right at that moment? Okay, so there's enough in here that, that, that at least my habit is slightly taking on in, in my life. But, but why do I do that? Well, first thing is, is you've shared something with me, and I want to hear that, but I want to pray, and I want God's guidance in what I'm going to say after the prayer, but also I find that I pray more often for things that I've already prayed for. So if I say, well, I'll pray for that later, I often, being human, forget, and I'm sorry to say that, but none of you have ever forgotten to pray for something that, you've, that you said you would pray for, have you? But if I stop and I pray right at that moment, then I remember better to pray later. So not only did I not lie to you about saying I would pray because I already did, I also remember to pray longer and better about it. It comes into my consciousness more. This we remember is is how to be an ordinary Christian. We uh, In our Bible study this last week, we had this fabulous Bible study discussion in First Thessalonians. Some of you know that it took us a year to get through Colossians um, Wednesday nights. Last week, we covered half a verse. As Bill said, we only had an hour and a half. So we got half a verse. But one of the things that came out in that discussion was the number one description of what Christians do when they live is they witness. But the word in the Bible for witness in the original Greek is martyr. Did you know that? Now, we think of martyrs of people that have suffered greatly and, and for their witness. But actually, the word just means witness. That they just talk about it. God's done stuff for you and you're going to talk about it. By like two testimonies something is established the word for testimonies in the Bible is martyrion or martyr it's the witness now we've added other meanings to it over the years that now it means that that you've been you've suffered greatly but when Jesus said it you will be my witnesses he said you're gonna share that's what he meant now you were also going to share in his struggles he said that too But I just want to make sure that you hear this, that we are witnesses and sharing in this thing. But here we go. We're going to, we're going to uh, continue along in the text. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now, I want to make sure that when we hear this, I wanted to say it just exactly the way that this commentary did, okay? When we when we read the Bible and it says, pray for them and they'll get well, um, in our world, there is a group of people that have said, well, it says, pray and they'll be well. Don't go to the doctor. You don't need the doctor. Have you ever heard that? Christian scientists sort of do that and some other groups. You don't need a doctor, um, that is not what's going on. Let me let me read this to you. Our ter- tendency to read ancient healing narratives as if we're reading the New England Journal of Medicine is the way we do that. Did you recognize that this is not the New England Journal of Medicine? We, do, we read scriptures kind of backwards all sorts of times. Do you know, we did this in the Bible study group, do you know, uh, we ask... When we read Genesis, we ask, how? How did God create? When God said, why did God create? The whole question of Genesis is about why, not how. He's not answering how, he's answering why. In the same way, when we look at Revelation, and by the way, I'm being interrupted in what I, my normal plan for next year, and I believe we'll be studying Revelation on Sunday mornings. I see, there's... There's some people doing this, but most people, I'm just going to warn you, it's not what you expect, because most people read Revelation and say when, and the question of Revelation is who, not when. It's not about when, it's about who is Lord. And who is the end of the stuff? And so when you change that little angle, if you ask that question differently, so when you read narratives on healing, don't hear them saying, well, this is the way you get, we do this and it happens. What he's saying is, is that you are a whole human and whole humans have bodies and spirits and you need your spirit and your body to be praying and being healed. And and you need both. There isn't any promise that you're going to be perfect in this world. And that aren't you glad that the promise isn't that you'll be perfect, but that it'll be worth it? That's quite a different promise. Anyway, so we get this thing. Jesus says this. This is an example from Mark 2. Your sins are forgiven to a paralytic. Do you remember the spot? He's he's in a room full of people, and no, the people are carrying a friend in on a mat, and they can't get to him because the house is full. And so they go up on the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof. That's how you want people to come into your house. I know. I've heard you say that. <laughs> Just take a take a skill saw and just cut a hole and go right through the thing like this. Because that wouldn't make a mess anywhere. But they 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 drop him in there and Jesus says, Take up your mat, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the room goes, How can he say that? Isn't that the story in Matt? How can he say your sins are forgiven? You rise up and walk. And Jesus knows what's going on inside them and he says What's easier to say, you're healed or your sins are forgiven? And the reason he says that is, is the people grumbling can't say either of those things and make it happen. They can't, but he can. And so, on the authority that can forgive sins and heal, he can do that. Now, what does healing look like? That is a very complex question, and I am more than willing to have that with people that want to have what biblical healing looks like outside of this room sometime. You can meet me. We'll talk about it. We'll go have coffee. But here's the thing. Normal Christians, when they're sick, call people together to pray for them. That's what they do. What are the other things, remember? When they're pressed, when things are going wrong, what do you do? Pray. Well, what happens when you pray when things are going wrong? Sometimes God gives you different ideas on how to solve things. And then what happens when things have been going wrong and they start going right? What do you do? Praise. When you're sick, what do you do? You call people together to pray for you. That's what we do here, isn't it? We pray. And here you go. And if you've committed sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let me ask you this question. How many of you as an ordinary part of your Christian life confess the things you've done wrong to somebody or to God? There are people here. That is part of the ordinary Christian life because you've done something wrong, but you're in a restored relationship with a person that forgives sin and part of the ordinary Christian life is, I blew it. Can you forgive me? That is part of the Christian life. Now, remember, we started this off with a little note about integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means that when, you're, when you struggle, you, you ask for help. When things are going well, you sing praises. When you, when you blow it, you ask for forgiveness. That's just an ordinary part of a Christian life. There's more. There's more to this, right? I didn't want to skip over this moment here in this text. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. How many of you feel like you're a righteous person? I got to tell you something. This also, you really all need to just come Wednesday night because you can get this. One of the reasons people don't witness about Christ all the time is they don't feel able. I'm going to share something with you you're not but he is he is able when you witness about what christ has done in your life you're not saying i did all this stuff for christ you're saying christ did all this stuff for me i'm not able he's able I'm not righteous, he is righteous. But then he puts that righteousness inside of us and it starts to take root. And it says the prayer of a righteous person. It's not just your righteousness that accomplishes this stuff. It's God's righteousness in you that accomplishes the prayer and great power and produces wonderful results. Now it goes into an example. Elijah was a human just like us. And yet, when he prayed earnestly, well, he didn't just pray for whatever. He prayed for what God wanted him to pray for. Let me get that little stipulation in there. I really want a new car. Isn't maybe what God's asking you to pray for. But when he prayed earnestly rain, that rain would not fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed, again, when he was told by God to pray for that, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield with its crops. My brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, every one of the commentaries I read on this was being very careful to tell me that this was not about evangelism, but this was about coming alongside somebody that was wandering away and directing them back, that it was all about restoration of the relationship. But I have a little correction for you to think about if you're making that distinction between evangelism and people wandering away. It's all about restoration. The whole reason Jesus came to earth was to restore the relationship that we had or could have with God into its proper function. First Peter 4.10, that love covers a multitude of sins. That is the concept here that when you come alongside somebody and they've stumbled, you don't go, stay down. You say, here, let me help you up. And and your love that guides them back into a restored relationship, whether that is evangelism or whether that is apologetics, which is a fancy term meaning arguing for the faith. Or maybe you're just coming alongside and wooing somebody back into this relationship that they once held dear, but maybe don't. That is love restoring and covering a multitude of sins. Now, that's the end of the text today, but what did I start with is tele-evangelists or telemarketers, right? Well, the Christian form of telemarketers is tele-evangelists. Those are people that you don't know, that you have no relationship with, that are not trustworthy, and all the world knows it. Because they don't live the ordinary, normal Christian life in front of people. Do you want to be believed that when you talk about Jesus, then this is how you live. People will see your life and they'll match it up with your words and your simple yes will be yes and your simple no will be no and they'll look at you and go, Jesus is amazing. Yes, he is. is. That's the correct thing. Jesus is amazing. Now, I invite you into this, into this thought that the Holy Spirit in you has one ministry, one style of ministry. He is essentially the spotlight of God. So if you went to the Washington Monument and it was night, it's all lit up. How many of you have ever seen a monument all lit up? Maybe not the Washington Monument, right? They got these cool spotlights. Did you stop and stare into the spotlight and go, that is the coolest spotlight ever? <laughs> no, you didn't. The spotlight's whole ministry, uh, Holy Spirit's whole ministry is go, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's who that's who I'm pointing at. Look at Jesus, He's done stuff for me. I invite you to join in. The Holy Spirit in you invites you to become a spotlight for the work of Jesus. Not your own work, not what you do, because you're not able. You can't convert anybody. God does that. God calls people back, and he might use you to do that. But it all comes into this spotlight ministry. But before you can have a spotlight ministry that works, you have to be who you say you are. And that's what being a Christian is about, right? So what is being a Christian about? Well, you don't say one thing and then never do it you let your yes be yes and your no, no, you, become, you begin to have integrity. And by the way, when things are going bad for you, you go help. I need help. You don't try to do that on your own. You ask for prayer. And when things are going great, you don't take credit for it. You say, God, thank you for getting me through that, that I couldn't have got through on my own. And when you're sick and you need healing, you ask for prayers. And when you need forgiveness, you go, I need forgiveness. And, and then the righteousness of those prayers that are in you, because that's built out of the righteousness of Christ, just begins to go pop in front of other people. It's the ordinary Christian life. Now, some of you might go, that's pretty amazing. If I, when I see those people, that's amazing. Yes. The ordinary Christian life is incredibly amazing to people that have never seen it. May you not be the telemarketer for Christ, but rather the friend that says, I've got a friend that can help. That's the ordinary Christian life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may we know you better. Constantly. May we get to know you in prayer and in praise. May we live sincere and lives of integrity. In your precious name, amen.